Well, thank you all. It is really a blessing to be back in Muncie. Yeah, I was going to actually mention that we, uh, my wife and I, are former Muncieites ourselves, and it feels a little bit like getting the band back together again. Um, so it is a tremendous blessing to be here, um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to bring the word to you today. Um, with that in mind, um, I'm a big fan of standing for the reading of God's word. It's, it is God's word. It has a holiness to it. Um, so would you please stand if you're able um, as God's word is proclaimed here. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. Father God, if I have any vain words in me, would you remove them? In spirit, make our hearts soft. Make our hearts soft. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Dated November 16th, 2018. Brian and Marilyn and mom and dad, you guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. Don't retrieve my body. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language, as Revelation 7, 9 through 10 states. I love you all, and I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Soli Deo Gloria, John Chow. John Chow is a recently killed missionary to the Sentinelese people. And the Sentinel Island is just off the coast of India. And the people who live there, um, they're some of the most remote in the entire world because they're known for killing anybody who steps onto their island on contact. And John Chow wanted to evangelize these people. He wanted them to turn and come to know the Lord. So he departed on a little fishing kayak. He carried a Bible in one hand, and then he had a sort of like a tackle box with some fishing line and uh, and some flint and some other gifts to try to win over these people. Um, and when he stepped onto the island, he was killed. He kept a journal and wrote a bunch of letters while he was circling their island on his boat. And at the end of each one, he wrote, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. He meant this for honor. He was trying to do uh, what he knew best in God's eyes. He was trying to give God the glory, in fact. But Soli Deo Gloria was definitely turned to shame after the fact. Chow was labeled upon hearing this from the public in an online magazine. A Christian supremacist, indifferent to genocide. 
His ignoring the tribe's wish to be left alone and the risks he posed to them were attributed to imperialist arrogance. His attempt to save the Sentinelese was ascribed to delusion and brainwashing. So John Chow's honor was turned into shame. And I know of at least one other person whose honor was turned into shame as well, David, the author of this psalm. Certainly him, but if I'm honest with you, I bet many of us have had our honor turned into shame as well. Some examples. Oh, you voted for Trump? Wow, you must be really close-minded. You voted Democrat? You must be a socialist. You're a Christian? Man, Christians are so intolerant these days. Oh, you're a a mask mandator? Oh, you're an anti-masker? I'm not even going to talk about the names we have for these people because it's a little too on the nose. Get it on the nose? (laughs) All of these examples are meant to produce shame, especially when they come from Christian voices. These words are, are lies because they produce false assumptions that aren't true of us, and they're vain words because they are intended to belittle, make us feel better, or make the other person feel small. Now, when, when we are shamed from the outside in, it can lead to all sorts of internal emotions or reactions, including sometimes you know, frustration or anger, or sometimes depression and, and, and shame and, and, and a turning inward on oneself. But David sings Psalm 4 as a safeguard and a positive example for us when words hurt us. So let's see how he deals with this hurt himself from the text. David calls out to God in prayer. Right off the bat, he he says, God of my righteousness, God of his righteousness. So while David is the first to admit in other cases that he's a sinner, he knows that he's a sinner, he also knows that the Lord vindicates his righteousness and that he isn't in the wrong when he approaches God. And David's first and strongest defense is his recognition of the honor which God bestows. He says immediately, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And set apart means something like treated with favor or considered to be excellent by God. It's a way of saying to the world, your lies, your vain words, they can't touch me because my honor can't be revoked. It's given to me, it's granted to me by God and not by humans. And you today might have a response for me, well, Brandon, that sounds nice, but I don't think that's actually that true. Because words have at least the power to get somebody canceled, right? I mean, look at, look at John Chow. You might say, sticks and stones break my bones, but, but actually words do hurt a lot as well. But my response, and I think David's response, is that God set apart John Chow even amidst his cancellation, if you want to put it that way. John Chow, where he is now with Christ, he's not too worried about the words that are being spoken about him. He doesn't find a lack of honor while he's in the embrace of the Lord. So though words do hurt for a time, the honor that God gives can't be overridden ever. But David goes on. His next step is to address verses 4 and 5 directly at his accusers. And I'm going to make a really bold application of this sermon right now. If you are one who has turned someone else's honor into shame, if you've spoken shameful words about others, if you 
have spoken lies or vain words about someone else. And let's be truthful with ourselves. It's almost certain that we've done that. This text says, stop sinning. Be angry and do not sin. We've all likely turned someone else's honor into shame. And and your command is to be angry as God is angry at your own sin. Stop doing it. Hate the things that God hates. It says ponder in your hearts. Meditate on your condition and be silent. Stop speaking these words. And it says offer right sacrifices. And that might not land for us, but you need to be accepted before the Lord, right? And in the Old Testament age, the way you did that was through sacrifices, through sacrificing animals in particular or grain. Now, in this age, we pray to Jesus, who was our once-for-all sacrifice. So pray to Jesus and put your trust in the Lord. All of this, this big uh, application that I'm making, it's a picture of repentance, right? There's a recognition of, there's a thinking about, there's an anger at, there's a turning away from, and a cleansing from your sin. So if you today can think of of somebody you've spoken ill about. If you hit repost on something that you didn't really fact check, or maybe you didn't care if it was true or not, or maybe it wasn't true and you didn't even know it wasn't true. If your conscience is pricked with a sense of guilt about something you've said towards a colleague or family member or somebody else in your church, then look here to this psalm. Sing it loudly in your heart as you turn away from your sin and you seek after God once more. But this isn't just a passage for the sinner. It's also a passage for the one who's been spoken ill about, right? Do you see that? Even the speaker who directs these commands outwardly, he's not excused from following them himself. This ethical standard, it's a norm. It applies to both the accuser and the accused, and, and, and frankly, we, we live in a world of complexity where a lot of times that's actually the same person. You've been hurt by somebody else's words, and so you then become the guilty party in reciprocating. So when someone has done real offense to you by slandering you, and then you become defensive and, and enter something like fight, flight, or freeze mode, be angry. God is angry at the offense too. You don't need to just crush it down and say, that doesn't matter anymore. Or like, ah, it's okay. No, you can be angry at what's been done to you. But do not sin. Retaliation, manipulation, or even believing the lies that were spoken about you are all inappropriate responses. Ponder the sin in your hearts, on your beds. Enough to know that that slanderous word about you is not the last or the highest word about you. And additionally, you have no room, no right for retribution. In fact, this is, this is actually an interesting thought. Um, you don't need to correct every word, an unjust word, that's spoken about you. What I mean is, do you believe that God's grace is enough for you when you can't even clear your own name? 
Do you believe that God's grace is enough for you when you can't clear your own name? This psalm is saying that you will be God's, even if you can't clear your name and the world finds you to be shameful. I once saw a cartoon and stuck in my memory of, of there was a guy who was typing on a computer and there was like a bubble that was coming in from out of frame and it said, it read, honey, are you coming to bed soon? And the, the husband who was typing at the computer said, hold on, honey, there's somebody wrong on the internet. It just isn't our job. God makes the wrongs right. Positively, though, offer right sacrifices even if you are the one being accused and put your trust in the Lord. Remember, Sacrifices are the things through which you receive righteousness, right? So receive your help. Receive your righteousness from the Lord. Know that his word about you is more important than anyone else's while you're under attack. And then one further implication of all this. Since this could be the Christian posture, whether you are the one who is slandering or the one who has been slandered, right? The accuser or the accused, the liar or the one lied about. I wonder what would happen if we all did what this passage said. If every one of us put our trust in the Lord rather rather than in the words that are spoken about them, rather than feeling the need to cut others down or felt no need to vindicate ourselves because the Lord has already vindicated us in Christ. Think about the temperature in the church it would come down. Think about the tensions that would de-escalate if we didn't feel the need to strike back. Think about how winsome our community becomes amidst sort of our American cultural moment. That sounds great. It sounds winsome. It sounds like the kingdom, right? But even that, even that beautiful picture is not the greatest treasure that this passage has to offer us. Because there's an effect to right belief about yourself and right living in the Lord. David says, you, meaning God, you, God, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In other words, right belief about who God created you to be and right living in obedience to the things that he commands, you're going to have a joy that exceeds any other set of riches or blessing, joy that can't be surpassed or revoked and doesn't ever fade away. So if you can, if you can train your heart that you are God's treasure and that God is your treasure, then joy can be yours over and against any other joy or pleasure that this world has to offer. Even if your adversary is beating you down according to any other standard, or beating you out in their words of disgrace towards you. If you can sing all of Psalm 4, then it will make you more joyful in God than immense riches and countless pleasures apart from God, even even that drop-the-mic moment where when somebody attacks you, you counter your attacker with this super snarky, unrecoverable comment where all your friends are like, oh, snap, it's even better than that. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This word peace 
in this verse is not talking about this, you know, this big picture shalom that you might already know about, but it talks about a calm in the soul, something like what Psalm 23 is about. There's this tremendous act of rebellion toward evil when you actually sleep in peace. It's, it's like saying in your very actions, you, evil, may intend me harm, but my Lord has me. There's a confidence about it. So I guess, therefore, believe God and go take a nap. I was going to make a, an application towards kids. You'll, you'll get it anyway. So I'll, kids who are here or kids who are tuning in online, um, do any of you have baby siblings, like little, little siblings? Maybe you're an older sibling and you've got little ones, um, and they're taking a nap. And uh, don't raise your hands because I don't want to get you in trouble, but have you ever, like, poked them on the cheek just to see what they're going to do, like, while they're sleeping? Or, or uh, I've got twin babies at home. They're three months old, and, and you can actually, like, lift up their arm and drop it, and they'll stay sleeping. Um, to me, I think this is actually amazing that they can stay asleep. Certainly, they're, I mean, they're deep sleepers, but uh, it, it's almost as if in their very action of sleeping, they're saying, I know you're not going to harm me. Right? If, if they had reflexes like they should, like when somebody pokes them in the cheek, there might be danger present. They should wake up right away. But they don't. They stay sleeping. There's almost like a trust in their very action of staying asleep. We can sleep soundly because we are safe in God's arms. Furthermore, and this is back to everybody, um, to know that you have done what is right in the eyes of the Lord leads to a clean conscience, a conscience that's untroubled by guilt. And this is a gift of righteousness that I don't think we really talk about that often, but it has these tremendous, tremendous ripple effects in our lives. What do I mean? Well, uh, have you ever sat up at night replaying this situation over and over again in your head, wondering if the words that somebody said about you, like, do I actually believe that? Is that actually true? Or, or have you, <laughs> immediately when you turn away from a conversation, you're like, dang it, I wish I would have said this thing instead. Oh, my God. Yeah. So think about what, what would have happened if in that moment, instead of speaking vain words, you would have trusted in the Lord. What if you had been angry and not sinned? What if you looked to Jesus and put your trust in him and what he speaks about you and been obedient to him? It, probably, it might mean that you wouldn't be feeling the weight of sin or even of suffering if somebody else is righteous towards you. That's a gift. We sit and think in our guilt and we stew on it and our shame all the time. We get in a spiral even where we start to wonder, how do I pull myself out of this pit? And the fact that you can't pull yourself out of the pit means you're going to sink further into it, right? Prolonged guilt has this searing effect on our souls where we, we stiff arm that which makes us feel the guilt. A lot of times that's the Holy Spirit. And so instead of bringing us closer to God by feeling this sense of guilt, it actually reshapes us away from God. So, so righteous living, it's not intended to um, be just rules. It's meant to be for our good. Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is like this question-answer um, form of theology um, written 
in the 1600s um, from a reform perspective, it asked this question. What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? Meaning being declared righteous, being welcomed into the family of God, and then your growth in holiness. And the answer is, the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. All these things are ours in Christ, and all of them are right here in Psalm 4. So I want to ask you, can you sing Psalm 4? Many might be really pumped about singing Psalm 4, but others of you might not be quite ready to sing it yet. Because you do have this back sense of guilt over something that you said about somebody else. Or maybe, maybe you're stuck in that shame spiral because of the comments of others. Maybe you did lash out against your accusers online in that chat room. Maybe you think the pleasure of sin surpasses the joy which comes from righteousness. But if any of these things describes you or or other things describe you too of reasons you can't sing Psalm 4, I want to let you know that, that there is still the opportunity to sing Psalm 4, even if you're stuck in shame or guilt. Why? Because Jesus sang Psalm 4 too. In the text, Jesus fulfilled pretty much every piece of this. Jesus' honor was turned into shame on the cross. Many mocked Jesus with vain words, and they sought after lies, even to the point of putting him to death. But the Lord set apart the godly one for himself. Jesus was angry at sin, but it never led him to sin. Jesus pondered in his heart many times, and yet was silent before even his accusers when he was asked to vindicate himself. He offered the right sacrifice, which was his own person. He put his trust in the Lord when he said to the Father, Not my will, but yours. He was tempted by Satan to put his joy in all sorts of other things, yet he recognized that only God can provide his joy. And he lay down and he slept in God's safety, even in a boat, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm. But here's the key. There's a big difference between when David sings this psalm, when we sing this psalm, and when Jesus sings this psalm, because David and us, we cry out and we get an answer. But when Jesus cried out to his father from relief from the pain of paying sin's ultimate penalty, the father did not answer. Jesus cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and he was met with silence. He was not given relief when he was in distress. But he suffered this silence so that his right belief and who God proclaimed him to be, and his right living might be credited to us 
so that we can confidently sing this psalm. The silence was measured to him because in it he received punishment for all the times we fail to sing Psalm 4, all the times we fail to measure up to it. So now, Christians, let's all sing Psalm 4 and do it with gladness because it's Jesus' song. And if it's Jesus' song and you're in him, then it's your song too. So let's sing it together, loudly, proclaim it boldly. And let the joy lead to the completion of it. Let's pray. Father God, we've believed all sorts of lies about ourselves. And then we've lied about others in kind. And we need Jesus to be the singer of this psalm because without it, we don't measure up to its holiness. But God, we know that through Jesus, we do have new power to live in righteousness and in holiness towards you and towards your, your will for us. Um, we praise you, God, for the, um, the example set forth in Psalm 4 for the Holy Spirit who can apply this word to our lives. And so, God, we ask that you send us out from here um, believing boldly the things that you proclaim about us more so than any shameful word that's ever been spoken of us. Would you lift us out of the pit of shame because we know that your embrace and your eyes are upon us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Boy, this would have been a good